0: Tap Talks. Know what it is. Welcome back to the Tac Talks podcast, where everything we talk about is of the game and for the game of football. In today's episode, it's going to be usual. We're going to be looking over the biggest games that took place over the weekend, most notably the Classico between Real Madrid and Barcelona. Ended 2-1 to Real Madrid and gave a massive advantage over Barcelona and Atletico Madrid in the three-horse race for the La Liga title. After that, we're going to be going over the game between Tottenham Hotspur, yours truly, and Manchester United, where Manchester United managed to come back from being 1-0 down to win a 3-1 at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And finally, we're going to be looking over the game between Manchester City and Leeds United, where Leeds miraculously managed to win at the Itihad Stadium with 10 men. I repeat, with 10 men. So, for starters, we're going to just review the Classico for a bit. We know Real Madrid and their approach. Basically, it was the same starting 11 that they used against Liverpool. They started off in a 4 3 3. Same personnel, Vinicius on the left, Benzema up front. Same midfield with Casemiro, Modric, and Tony Cruz outright. They started with, actually, there was a difference. Uh, there was a change of personnel on the right instead of starting with Asensio they started off with with Valverde and we're going to talk about the importance of that in a bit. In defence he was basically the same, you had Lucas Vazquez on the right, you had Militao and Nacho in the centre-back pairing and you had uh, Mendy on the left. Whereas Barcelona started in their routine 3-5-2 formation, 3-5-2 system. They had the two wing-backs, Dest and Alba on either side. Obviously, Alba on the left and Dest on the right. They had the three centre-back pairing of Oscar uh, of uh, Oscar Mengueza, Araujo managed to come back for this game and Longlier. In midfield, the usual. It was Busquets, De Jong, and Pedri. And up top, they have Messi and Ousmane Dembele. So going into this game, obviously, it was a tough one to predict or to like to consider because the reason being is that both teams are not at their best this season. They're both going through transition periods. But one thing that we have noticed is that results have begun to pick up over the course of the season, especially for Real Madrid. They have delivered promising results against the likes of Atalanta and Liverpool. First leg against Liverpool finished two, uh, sorry, rather three one to Real Madrid where their approach really worked wonders. Same approach was taken as Barcelona, maybe a little bit more conservative considering they're playing they're playing against a complete somewhat complete Barcelona squad. Basically what Real Madrid looked to do, they dropped into sort of a mid block and they waited in the middle of the pitch for Barcelona to push up a bit and then they sort of pressed on triggers. The usual man orientation was there. If, let's assume, a forward tried to drop to receive, a centre-back would follow. For instance, we know a classic from Messi is to drop into midfield to receive. Many a time we see one of the centre-backs follow him into midfield. So it's that man orientation by Real Madrid that allows them to maintain somewhat of an advantage over their opponents, especially if their opponent are trying to rotate and move around. But it could be costly. It could prove costly if they come up against a team that knows how to manipulate such movement and exploit spaces left by the man orientation. But Barcelona seemingly didn't really manage to do that a lot, especially at the beginning of the game. The first half, it was mainly Real Madrid dominating. Like I said, the man orientation worked really well. Something we also noticed, just to show how... um What's the word? Sorry. How committed, that's the word, how committed Real Madrid were to these, this man orientation was that even on the right side, I, I said I wanted to mention Federico Valverde and his role. He would follow the wing back. He would track the wing back all the way back. And sometimes even Real Madrid looked like they were defending with five, just because Federico Valverde committed to tracking the wing back or the wide player back so so far. So basically... You had sort of an asymmetric system, especially off the ball or against the ball, because one of the wingers was tracking back, so was tracking back, whilst the other one was staying high up. And basically, what Real Madrid looked to do is always they looked to find and exploit, as they did against Liverpool. They looked to find and exploit the one v one between mainly it was between Oscar Mingueza and uh, Vinicius Junior. And Vinicius Junior was once again on the day one of the best, better or best players on the pitch especially because Real Madrid, I see Real Madrid as trying to play a system where he fits in a lot, because the the asset of a player like Vinicius Jr. is his pace, the ability for him to take on a play and get past him. And in the past two games, it seems that Real Madrid have found a really good role for him because they they're using... He's, he can use his assets or his qualities in this new role of his. He stays up high as sort of a rest defence player. And he sort of serves as the attacking outlet for Real Madrid. And that's exactly what he did as well against Barcelona. Many a time, he would be played the ball directly. And he served, like I said, he served, or rather he was isolated many a time against one of the wide centre-backs. Real Madrid tried to make use of the fact that Barcelona would push their wing-backs very high. And their wing-backs sort of took a long time to track back. They tried to use the gaps on the wings to then exploit exploit Barcelona, especially when they pushed high or they, they tried to commit players forward. And something I want to talk about about Barcelona is that a lot of the times, one thing I noticed is that, yes, they would get to Real Madrid's goal. But one thing that I noticed is the lack of presence in the box. Many a time, you'd always see players come to receive. They'd always drop to receive. But there wasn't a player posing a threat in the box. We know that Messi loves to come to receive the ball and create from the back. But the thing is that that only leaves Usman Dembele up front, considering that Griezmann did not start this game. Right? And Usman Dembele doesn't really have the attacking qualities or the positional awareness to know how to position the box, how to move in the box. One player who did know how to do that was Luis Suarez, yet Barcelona decided to sell him. (laughs) And all they're left with now is Antoine Griezmann and Braithwaite. Either of which, I believe, should have started this game because I understand what Cohen was trying to do. Just then, made that clear. He was trying to play him behind Real Madrid's defensive line. But that didn't work because Real Madrid were very wary of that and they dropped back to limit the space between their goalie, between Courtois. And between their defensive lines. So that didn't really work out for Barcelona. And they had to build out steadily. And try and reach the Real Madrid goal slowly. But the problem is. Like we said. They did not have a true striker on the pitch. So there was very little. Or even no occupation. In the Real Madrid box. So it made it much easier for Real Madrid to defend. Especially when the ball was moved to wide areas. Because. Let's assume that Barcelona tried to cross it for someone, whether it be a a low drive, I don't know, a high cross cross delivery, there is no one in the box, there'd be no one in the box to get to the ball. So eventually when they brought on Braithwaite and Griezmann, we saw how, how dangerous they started to be because there was actually presence, there was actually someone to receive those crosses inside the box. So that's one issue that I saw Barcelona suffer from in the first half. Second half they were much better. Coman took off he brought on, because I remember I think it was Griezmann, and they changed to sort of more like a four diamond two, uh, with with I think it was Messi as the number ten, and that worked much better for them because now they had a striking partnership to pin the Real Madrid backline back and like. Create, they had an overload in midfield against Real Madrid's three. So that sort of worked out for them. Then Real Madrid at the end, Zidane opted for a permanent five, not not a transitional five like in the beginning of the game. I don't remember who he took off, but he brought on Marcelo. I think he took off Benzema. He took off... i try to remember all of the different plays they took off. I don't really remember the subs, but I remember they brought on Marcelo, and that sort of solidified the five at the back, basically... It was Mendy, Felon Mendy, who became the third centre-back, and Marcelo slotted in as the left wing-back. So that basically converted it to five or three at the back, depending on the phase of play. And I've got to admit that it was very close. It was very close. First half, basically, was all Real Madrid. Second half was very much Barcelona. Barcelona, Koeman did really well with his changes with his subs. And they almost found a way back into the games, to be honest. Like that last ditch crossbar and the uh, volley by <laughs> Stegen. That 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 took, that blew me away, to be honest. I truly believe if there weren't a player in his, in the way of the shot, that would have like just hit the top corner of the goal. <laughs> but. It was an entertaining game, to say the least. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Now, for those of you who are complaining that Barcelona, as they usually do, Barca fans do this a lot, they complain about penalty decisions. I Just my personal opinion on it, I don't like to really talk about stuff like this because they're so controversial, but when it's as clear as Braithwaite's one, I just can't help myself. That was in no way a penalty. I don't know how people are even claiming that's a penalty. If I were to show that to a person who has nothing to do with football and just ask them, do you think that there was a foul there? They're going to say no. Like and just let me be clear, I have nothing to do with Juventus or Barcelona. I I get nothing out of saying that it, it was it should have been a penalty, it shouldn't have been a penalty from an objective point of view. I want to say that that was nothing close to a penalty. Mendy ba- barely tugs the hand of Braithwaite and he drops to the floor. He topples onto the floor. It doesn't make sense at all the way he fell, considering how he was handled. Now, I get it. The handling isn't legal, but it, either way, it's a soft decision, you know? And Braithwaite was trying to make the most of the situation. He dropped to the floor. Barcelona players surrounded the referee, pressure, trying to pressure him into giving the penalty it's not the first time we've seen it i've already said this to to people who've asked me about this we've seen this from barcelona players we've seen this from real madrid many a time before it's a standard routine it's premeditated and i don't i don't like stuff like that to be honest but i just wanted to make the point that no i did not think it was a penalty nor do I think that in any league it, that would be counted as a penalty to be honest so i thought i think the referee got that decision right i think that was the most controversial moment in the game where everyone was like thinking no nah, that should have been a pen and that's why no it, it wasn't a penalty in my per in my humble opinion i don't know <laughs> um so yeah like i said an in, an entertaining game um it'll be interesting to see how the what happens at the end of the season and who will actually, uh, who will actually come out the winner of the league? So yeah. Moving on, we talk about the game between Manchester United, or rather between Tottenham and Manchester United, since it took place at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Ah, this game, this game wound me up so much. I was honestly, I I'm lately I've been working, working on myself to not like get too reactive, especially when watching Spurs, but it's so difficult these days because of how badly Spurs are playing. And the first episode of there, when I started this, I actually, my first ever episode was about Tottenham and Mourinho. And I made a clear, I made it clear to point out, I wanted to point it out that I truly believe that the entire fault wasn't that of Mourinho's. But watching today's performance, I cannot clear Mourinho of the blame today, and I think he knows it. He said that the players gave their best, but we were outplayed, and he's damn right about that. Because honestly, that was the worst football I've seen. It's not the worst football I've seen this season, but it is. It goes like it's it's up there with one of the worst games of football I've seen from Spurs all season nothing made sense in this game honestly from the 4-1-4-1 4-1 mid-block to the way we built out to the to the static players basically the players were not moving off the ball it was winding me up so much I was watching I was watching the game with the mate and I, I just kept on telling him, why aren't they moving off the ball you know like, it's it's just a logical thing, the football is about moving, it's not only when you've got the ball at your feet that you move, you know, and that I just can't blame the players for, because if the players are not made to understand that they have to move off the ball to exploit space, then that's not only their fault, it's also the manager's fault, you know, many a time I'd see, like, a player just basically trying, asking for the ball when there's either a player pressing him from behind or a player in front of him blocking the passing lane and they'd be asking for the ball you know it's just stuff like that it it really winds me up to be honest because like you you don't want to see that from professional football players you know not not knowing that they can't receive the ball or they have to lay it off because they're being pressured from behind. Honestly, I saw it so many times a player trying to receive with their back to goal and the Man United player would just press them from behind and they just try and get past him. You know, and another thing I want to that I just want to mention is the constant patterns that Spurs play brainlessly and aimlessly throughout that game. Why? Like It's it's obvious, it's obvious what Mourinho's doing, he's just taught them this one pattern to play, and they keep on doing it, and it isn't working, so you just don't know what to do besides that, I can just, I can spell it out now, basically, it's a pass from the centre-back to the full-back, then the full-back plays it to the midfielder, the midfielder would come to receive, the full-back plays it to the midfielder, and the midfielder, with one touch, Regardless of whether the wing is marked or not, he just plays it upfield, hoofs it upfield, down the line to the winger, and then the winger has to decide what to do, and they just dec- and that they- and it carries on from there. They tried that about five to six times. I saw it repeatedly throughout the game, and it just wouldn't work. And they kept on trying to do it. So I <laughs> I don't know. This game really wound me up, to be honest, and uh It really got me thinking about, honestly, what is Mourinho doing with this team? What is he doing with this team? I understand the players aren't good enough. But you do have good enough players to attack efficiently. I understand your defense is bad. It's really bad. Yes, the players are not good enough defensively. But that does not excuse the, the performance on the attack today. Because honestly, it was abysmal. It was honestly abysmal. And Spurs were exposed from minute one, by the way, against the ball when they tried to set up in this 4 1 1 mid block high press. And that base, it was basically a flat nine of four, then Kane up front, then Hoiberg behind them. Yeah. And the mo- it's, it's, just the, it's just the basics, to be honest. The most basic principle of football is when you're playing a formation like that, keep it compact. Don't press high. Keep as as little space between the lines as you can. That's the point behind having that one between the lines to cover for the other plays in between the lines. Basically what happened is Man United were not recognising that there was so much space in between the lines. So, they weren't, so there wasn't anyone between the lines. That's why Spurs came out of the first half. In the lead, basically, you know, because as I said, Man United were not leaving plays in between the lines. They were all trying to, like, they were all trying to pin the defensive line back or commit to the Tottenham's defensive line. Eventually, in the second half, they started to drop deeper and started to try and receive in between the lines. We're talking about plays like Bruno Fernandes or like Pogba, and we saw the results, basically. They managed to score three goals what can we say honestly what can we say it it was it was it was abysmal it was an abysmal performance from spurs players and manager alike i I didn't like it at all um i'm not going to get into the drama that occurred after the game i don't know what mourinho was on about oh yeah just one thing i want to point out is the controversy regarding the son foul and the Goal that Man United had disallowed. To be honest, like when it happened, I said it was a foul, despite the fact that I truly believe that Tomine didn't mean it. He he smacked Son in the face. You know that basically prevents Son from tracking back and attempting to prevent a goal opportunity. So I do believe there is a there is an argument that that was a foul. And I don't know. I Yes, I see it as a foul. I don't know if any other people, because I saw a lot of pundits and a lot of other people saying it shouldn't have been a foul, football's gone soft. I don't know. But either way, I did believe that Man United would come back from it because Spurs were looking, because of the way Spurs were playing. They basically offered very little threats towards Man United, towards Man United's defence. And let's just be clear that Man United weren't really playing that well, but at the end, Spurs came out second best, I guess, if that's what what you want to call it. I wouldn't even put the word best near Spurs' performance today. I've got I've gone on a little bit of a rant, so let's just move on because I can't I can't bear to talk any more about this this game. So next game was the game between Manchester City and Leeds. And this was an interesting one. This is, I think, I think it's Marcelo Bielsa's first win against Guardiola. I think he hasn't beaten him before. I think there was a draw back when Bielsa was in charge of Athletic Bilbao. They drew Barcelona 2-2 back in 2013, I think, or 12. I don't remember. There was the 1-1 earlier this year. And now, yeah, but anyway, obviously that's created a massive headline because Leeds somehow managed to beat Manchester City with ten men at the Etihad Stadium, and honestly, it goes to show how many people are talking about heart and effort and like. But I want to give credit to Marcelo Bielsa's incredible training regimen because, like, for a player, for a player to withhold. I'd say I'd, I'd I think the goal 90 minutes 90 minutes of defending at the back and constant pressure and um, and effort to defend the go- your goal with a man down and suddenly run in behind like the way Stuart Dallas did <laughs> that shows amazing stamina you know and I've always been curious as to how Marcelo Bielsa trains his plays. They talk about so many different things. There's the rumors of the murder ball training session where basically Bielsa has a, an 11 v 11 game. But as soon as the ball goes out of play, he instantly kicks a ball in. And it could be in any place. Like let's assume that the ball was, went out on the right side. Suddenly Bielsa kicks the ball in to the left side. So the players always have to be, have to be on alert and they have to be moving with the ball. and. All that and they have to react to where the ball is because as we know the players have to move relative to the ball teammates opponents right so let's assume that a ball just went out and a ball was randomly kicked into another area of the field so it changes the dynamics of it entirely and the relativity principle. so all the players have to move towards the ball whether it be the teammates or the opposition they have to reposition themselves or reorient themselves relative to the ball's position so, as you can tell, it's a really tiring matter, especially if you're playing on a, pro- on a, on a massive 11-side football pitch. So, yeah, it must, it must take a lot out of the plays. Even I remember a lot of players complaining. They said that they complained so much on, um, during that first session of murder and they felt sick and all that, but eventually they got used to it and we can tell how much it's paid off. If like I said, if a player can manage to like sprint the way Stuart Dallas did after ninety minutes of excruciating uh, of excruciating um performance of trying to hold hold on to a lead or hold on to a draw and then suddenly you've got you you've restored your lead with ten men, then <laughs> honestly, whatever Marcelo Bielsa is doing is paying off and let's hope that leads can just use this as a foundation for next season because it'd be good to see Leeds honestly competing for the european spots as well not only finishing in the mid in mid table and surviving I'd like to see more from from Leeds next season hopefully maybe bring in some more players and obviously keep bielsa on I truly believe he will stay on I think he's found he's found himself at Leeds he really likes it, the atmosphere the club and all that so, yeah, hopefully everything will work out. City, as they normally do, looking for looking to get the win, pushed too many players forward, left their rest defence exposed. If you remember, there were only three plays at the back when Stuart Dallas ran in behind. And the fact that Lee's just managed to score from a goal kick is ridiculous, to be honest. You know, the, and the fluidity behind that move to then score from it, amazing, honestly. One day, someone will will spill Bielsa's secrets. One day, and we'll finally be able to figure out what, how El Loco thinks, and what goes on inside his head. But this was also a really interesting test for Bielsa playing with ten men. So obviously he can't go as man orientated as he wants or press as high as he wants. He had to defend a little deeper. But that did not stop him. He still defended man-to-man, but it was a little deeper. But that's that's that, That's that. just what happens when you've got a guy so stuck to his principles that no matter what, he wants to play the way he wants to play. We've seen it uh, throughout this season. One game he wins 3-0, next he loses by six, but he sticks to the style of play that he wants because he believes that's the best way of playing. So, yeah. It was uh, it was a really entertaining one, to be honest. The, uh, once again, a massive battle between two brilliant football footballing minds, Guardiola and Bielsa. I still believe that, obviously, I wouldn't say obviously, but it's most likely that City are going to win the league this season. Unless, I don't know, <laughs> this might be the start of a losing streak. I doubt it very much, though. So, yeah, they're going to have to get past that loss and uh, and go, get, go into the Champions League looking to qualify to the semi-finals. And I think it will be the first time that City qualified to the semi-finals since they faced Real Madrid in 2014, I think. It was under, maybe it was 2015, under the, what, what was their last manager's name? I forget his name. Just look it up, Man City manager. It's not Pep Guardiola, what was his name? He was the former West Ham manager as well. Oh yeah, Pellegrini, under Pellegrini. He was the last guy to take them to the semi-finals of the Champions League. Hopefully they can manage to get, get to the semi-finals this season. And possibly the final, and maybe... They'll edge close to winning a Champions League under Guardiola, which is something that has been criticised for so much. So, yeah, that's the end of the episode. I'll probably be doing one after the second leg games of the Champions League, so I'm looking forward to those, honestly, as I said in the previous episode. So, yeah, till then, thanks for tuning in and see you in the next one.